with the latest SBL shoot around. We take a look at everything from the men's competition with a man who's created a remarkable coaching legacy after a 200-game playing career. Ben Etridge joins Chris Wright to bring you another men's SBL shoot around. Okay, back here on SBL Shoot Around, Ben, and, and from our very first show that we started, this is a man that you've been wanting to speak to. He's a man that you looked up to a lot when you were a young man coming through in your formative years, and it's a great pleasure for us to have him on the show this week to talk about his career, but also to talk about our tournament to, cr- to crown the ultimate SBL Championship team. We, we find him in China right now, so we hope all is well over there, Mike. How do we, how do we find you this evening? Oh, very well, thanks. I'm very well here in Shanghai, China, and uh, been here for two years now. And uh, picked me on a bit of a tough day. I'm actually moving house today, so um, uh, it's, it's been a bit rough. But we're all good. We're all good. Well, hopefully this means you get to get you away from the work a little bit. Yeah, that that's a very good thing to be happening. Thank you now. very much. Thanks for having us on. I look forward to uh, chatting with you guys. And as I've been. Uh, Combing the stats and the teams mm. that have won championships over the past, you know, 30 years or whatever it is, and um, just having a look at the names of players that I either used to play against or, you know, kept a close eye on over the past 10 to 15 years. It's been uh, been uh, a trip down mem- memory lane and brought a, yeah. uh, a lot of good memories back for myself and uh, just remembering those guys I played with or competed against. Uh, it's been fun. Yeah, fantastic. Before I hand you over to Ben, your own playing career was, was a fantastic one. Um, you played 229 games between 1990 and 2002. Started off at the Coburn Cougars, had a season at Willerton, a season at the Redbacks, then a couple of years out of the league, and then you came back to the Coburn Cougars for 1998, 1999, and then you finish off your career with the Geraldton Buccaneers after you know you got to play in another grand final. But that 1992 championship team at Coburn, I'm sure, is a great highlight. And, and really, anybody over the course of that long of a career to average more than 11 points, almost five assists a game. You you knew what to do on a basketball court. When you reflect back on your playing career, are you proud of what you did achieve? Uh, yes and no. I think uh, I certainly had some great years in the SBL, certainly in the earlier days. Uh, I spent a few years in the US at college, and I think probably the early days of my career, I was really pretty much a, a more of a scoring point guard. And then after I went to the US, I came back, I'd you know, probably changed my game a little bit, became a much better all-around point guard. So, so you know, I think I think I had a very competitive career. I think team, the, the, the people I played with have enjoyed playing with me. And, you know, when I look back, there's a couple of grand final losses. We, we won in 92, very proud of that. Certainly we lost in 93, but we are probably lucky to be there, to be honest. And there are some great, great memories. I... I as I was looking at these uh, stats and the championship team, I, I sort of changed my tune a little bit. Over 20 or so years, I've always been a little bit disappointed in the grand final losses. But just looking at the teams we played against, remembering those guys on the team, I sort of this week just you know started to have a bit of admiration for those guys that beat mm. us and you know really respect what they did. And you know, in my own career, I'm, I don't like to. You know, I could have been probably had much better statistics, but you know, so I was a little bit insistent, if anything. But uh, Certainly proud that I was able to play a long time in the SBL and also, you know, make a make a goal over in the in the states in the college system. 
yelled Michael. I first ran across Michael Farrell. We, I think I came down from Willowton to play in an under-20 state champs, and it was yourself and Kat, and I think Glenn Jakovic had a run with us that, that <laughs> year. And I was just looking at these guys that were pretty much fully-fledged men, and there was, I was just a skinny 16-year-old kid that got cut from the under-18s at Willowton and thought I'd try my hand down there at Coburn, and Greg Gurr gave me, gave me that opportunity. But I always remembered you, as you sort of said, as being someone that was a hell of a player to play with, and I'll still to this day say there's been some, some pretty good point guards in, in the SBL, but one of the smartest players I've ever played with or been around in the fact that the way you saw the game and read the game, uh, I'd try and encourage people to be three steps ahead as a point guard and you were someone who was five or six steps ahead and I think you know, that, that carried you in good stead um, all throughout your career and one memory that I do have is of I was sitting in my college dorm room in Northern California up in Eureka there and we're watching the Maui Invitational Classic and next thing Michael Farrell's bringing the ball up against Kansas and I'm trying to tell my roommates that I know that guy I played with that kid and they didn't really, didn't really fathom who it was or what was going on but to me that was a, a pretty big kick to see a kid from Coburn playing against these D1 schools on, on ESPN back, back in the day. Yeah, those were some good memories. I actually uh, I spent four years over in the States and uh, you know I played about four or five years with Coburn early days and I was I was Coburn through and through, and in 93, I moved to Tigers. You know, it was a difficult decision, probably the worst decision of my life. I probably regretted it a little bit. But if I hadn't have moved there, I would never have met Jeff Anderson. Well, I knew I had met Jeff Anderson, but when I went to Willerton, he gave me the contact for his school in North Carolina, and yep. he had played for the same coach. So I went and played at Jeff Anderson's university, High Point University. Uh, after that one year, I transferred to a junior college in Texas, and that was probably the worst month, nine months of my life. And I was I was really struggling with the whole concept of being in the US. This town in Texas was really small in East Texas. You know, I just didn't didn't like it. I, I remember at, it was a junior college, so I, I was definitely having to move somewhere else. And I remember saying to my coach, assistant coach, I said, look, coach, I'm going to go home. I think I'm just going to go home back to Australia and play in the SBL again. Although if I could find a team in Los Angeles or Hawaii, I think I'd stay. And he said to me, well, it's funny that because a school in Hawaii called you, called about you the other day. They want you to come and play there. And I said, well, <laughs> let's go. So I got, on, I got onto the phone to the school in Hawaii and I knew I was going to sign with these guys right away. And they invited me over for a recruiting visit. So I went over there and had a weekend in Hawaii. Went back to Texas and I, I signed with them. So, yeah, it was called uh, Chaminade University of Honolulu. Uh, yeah. And we used to host the Maui Invitational, as you said. And, yeah, played two times on live on ESPN in the morning. Uh, the first actual game, you got it a little bit wrong. We played against UMass and okay. University of Massachusetts. They'd just finished uh, winning the national championship the year before uh, yeah. with Marcus Camby. And then the next year we played against Duke. And okay. so there I was playing against Duke University live on ESPN. It was a, certainly a, a big thrill of mine. And given that I'm a Duke fan, it was just awesome. And they ended up having about six or, six or seven guys go to the NBA. Actually, three or four ended up playing in the, in the NBL in Australia as well. So, yeah, some oh, wow. really good times in America. Really good times in America. Learned a lot. Uh, so I think, think I certainly developed my craft and, you know, earned a degree and, Having that degree in my pocket has uh, led to further, ex you know, I've become a teacher and I've since gone on to Singapore. You know, I've been living in Japan for a while and now here I am in Shanghai. And had I not gone to the US and got the degree, this may, none of this would have been possible. So it's a good move.
yeah, out of uh, out of a couple of what, like you say, a couple of tough decisions or decisions that you might have looked back on and thought they weren't the best ones. Basketball has sort of become that that passport to the world and led you on to bigger and better things. So yeah, just a, another amazing basketball story. Sort of the flip side of perhaps the imports that come out here and and it's brought them out here and they've, they've sort of found that other life. It's um, it's led you on to, to other things all around the world, which is just you know the, the power of basketball, I guess. Absolutely. When I returned to, I played at Geraldton in 2002-2003 and then I went to Europe for a little uh, tour and spent a couple of years back there. Then when I came home, I actually did my dip ed for, for a teaching degree, but then moved to Sydney and worked for Westnet. Uh, uh, good friends of ours, you know, Bernard Brown, Greg Brown had a had the internet company, so I was lucky enough to work for them in Sydney. And then I also went down to Melbourne and when I was in Melbourne, I, I caught up Dale Waters, uh, okay. a good a good Williton boy and, you know, yeah. coached the Breakers, etc. cetera. He, he was actually coaching the Dandenong Rangers and he invited me down to become the assistant coach. So I spent a bit of, bit of time there as assistant coach. And then a school, Australian International School in Singapore, were looking for a basketball coach to come and run their club. And given that I was actually currently working at Dandenong Rangers and I had a teaching degree, I was one of the front runners lucky to get that, get that job. So here I am now. Looking into my fifteenth year in the international teaching circuit, so yeah, mm-hmm. once again, uh, as you say, it was it was basketball that led me here, and now I'm uh, well entrenched into the international teaching scene, and it's it's been a great change and a, a great life as well. Is it English you're teaching, or what do you or do you teach a whole range of things? Obviously, you said you spent time in Japan and now China as well. Is it is it mainly English you're teaching the students there, or what do you what do you teach? No, so I'm at a, a proper international school, so uh, I'm, I'm mainly teaching physical education okay. and I've also spent a lot of time teaching English to the foreign students that have come down. When we were in Singapore, I had many, many Chinese students come and, and, and join our school at the Australian school, so I, I did a bit of about 50-50 of physical education and also English. Mm. In terms of your basketball as well, have you had any involvement in basketball overseas in this in this time, apart from obviously the phys ed teaching? Have you had any official basketball roles overseas? No, I have. I actually, um, so I, I was coaching the basketball club at the Australian school. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I actually I actually coached a Singapore team in the National Basketball League in Singapore for about three years. Mm. And also, strangely enough, at uh, one stage, Greg Gurr, who... Uh, Coached us at Coburn, was like the general manager at Basketball WA, a, a real powerful influence down there at Willerton in the early days. Greg Gurr was the technical director at the Basketball Association of Singapore. So he gave me a job coaching uh, some of the national te- junior teams, such as the under-14s and under-15s. So I oh, wow. uh, certainly remain, remained involved in basketball uh, overseas. You weren't in Singapore when the Singapore Slingers existed, were you? Uh, the Singapore Slingers had been around for about two years. Yeah. When I got there, they just abandoned or, or withdrew from the National Basketball okay. League and they started up their own little competition. Yeah. Uh, since, since then, they've joined the ASEAN Basketball League and they've gone from strength to strength. They've played yeah, in about uh, four grand final series. Uh, they've really developed their local players. And, and, yeah, it's a really burgeoning league that they've got going on there. Hmm. Michael Johnson is the uh, coach or and director of basketball there, isn't he? The he is. Uh, yeah. Mike Johnson, the old Newcastle Falcons legend. He is certainly their general manager, pretty much the owner, general manager and assistant coach. So 
Okay. Yeah, he's really passionate about the Singapore Slingers, and one thing I could say about him is he's working his tail off to make basketball work in Singapore. Mm. Yeah, and I had a bit of dealing with him a couple of years back. He um, signed one of the imports we had at Wolves, Ryan Wright, for about half a season up there. So he was pretty, yeah, talking to me pretty closely for a while, and yeah, didn't realise he was still up there actually. And then um, yeah, he was seen to be pretty switched on, and then had a yeah, followed him for a little bit. Since then, just their results and stuff. And that, yeah, so it's definitely a big league. I, uh, I do like the league. I think it'd be a. Uh, I remember Gary used to talk about the expansion of the SPL up that way, and I think it would have been a, uh, an amazing opportunity for the SPL. Well, I think the uh, discussion around WA basketball joining Asia has been around for forever. I think uh, if I think back to my days as like a 10 year old running around at Perry Lakes watching my brothers play. Bob Marshall was, I think I think his name's Bob Marshall, he was like the chairman of Basketball WA and he was always trying to establish links, basketball and WA with Asia. And it just never really got going. And yeah. I think uh, I heard you guys talking about the NBL1 and there may be some discussions about the SBL joining the Eastern States competition. I'm not sure how that's going to work or what, what it entails, but I still believe that there's certainly more opportunities for um, teams to play in Asia, whether that's uh, probably not within a season, but certainly within tournament. Uh, there's loads of tournaments in Asia, certainly in Malaysia and China, where they bring teams in from overseas. Everything's paid for. They put you up in the hotel for a week. You play six or seven games. All the food's paid for. So all it would take for players to um, or teams to pay their own way for that week, as in flight, etc., and everything else is covered. I think one thing basketball and WA could really look forward to or, or try to develop is sending players over to Asia as imports. Mm. Uh, I can remember seeing yeah. I can remember sitting at the Singapore Slingers one day and a Filipino team came in and uh, Seb Salinas was playing. Mm. Uh, oh, given wow. that he had yeah Seb Salinas and another guy from uh, is it Doug Gate? Uh, Westig maybe. Maybe Smectic. One of the other guys had another Junjulup guy had some yeah, sort of man. Filipino roots as well. And yep. both of those guys were playing on that on that Filipino team. And, yep, that's Matt and, you know, Matt and Seba. Certainly. And I don't think that – I think Seb Salinas was starting in the league as I was sort of finishing, so uh, that was good to see. But I think there's more and more opportunities and something players should look, look to do is join teams in Asia. Because generally mm. speaking, when teams in Asia play in their local national leagues – their national leagues run for about six to seven weeks or a month okay. or two months, and they really have a condensed season. They might be playing four or five games a week, and they, it's more like instead of a regular season, it's more of a tournament format. And yeah. I think players, you know, like if I just think of some names at the moment, you know, uh, uh, um, Gavin Field, why couldn't he go over there and mm -hmm. be an import? You know, Damien yeah. Tats back in his yeah. prime. I know he tried out for the Slingers and was and joined the Slingers uh, the year they withdrew from the uh, NBL. So it's definitely, I think, current day players in Australia should be looking to go go to Asia and you know, get some experience as as the imports over there. Definitely food for thought. Well, I mean, you make a great point, especially guys that have just missed out on making the NBL. So if you have a look at the last 10 years and, you know, Gavin Field, Ben Purser, Joel Wagner, Kyle Armour, all of these type of guys were good enough to play NBL but didn't quite get the opportunity. But if they had gone to Asia, they potentially could have made a, a really strong decade-long professional career for themselves. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, now in, like, certainly in the Asian Basketball League with Singapore, Vietnam, Malaysia and these type of 
uh, these types of places. Uh, they might there might be a three or four month season in that like sort of professional league where they mm. can make a little bit of money, but also like the lower leagues in Indonesia and Malaysia that. They're always getting imports well, and I'm sure the quality of Australians in the SPL can, can match it as an import in that region. I have no doubt about it. Yeah, well, a lot of time you'll get a um, yeah, you'll get contacted by the agents or the imports themselves and make direct contact, and they've got those um, the, the Vietnam League or the Thai League or those sorts of leagues on their resumes. And you, you look at the standard of import that they are, and automatically when you look at an import, you're thinking, are they better than any of my Australian talent? And for a lot of the time, you look and say, no, we've already got that position covered by an Australian. So there would be definitely no reason why, on a talent standpoint, that perhaps guys could head up and hold their own and and, and do that job more than service. As, a, as an import, we just tend to be married to the American import as a as that the be all and end all. Um, we've always wondered why there hasn't been more Europeans come and play in our league. I know there was a couple in the early days that came in really well, but yeah, it tends to be that that's the, the be all and end all is uh, the it's American imports that are the ones that are going in and, and, and taking those jobs. But it is what it is. Mm. I agree. And like just now, like I know the SBL has been cancelled this year and you're running a short and 10-week season. I mean, if I was running a club down there now, I'd be looking, I'd be scouring, oh, you can't right now. I'm sorry. No one's moving anywhere, are they? But in the future years, you know, no one's going anywhere with COVID at the moment. So in future years, there's tournaments all over Asia. And um, I know that Alan Erickson put a couple of teams together a few years back, rather comically, to be honest, but uh, <laughs> they went over. Have you heard this story about Alan Erickson and his crocodile? No. <laughs> so Alan Erickson got together a team of ex-SBL players. Most of them had been retired for about three to five years. The yeah. likes of Troy Clark, Clint Reed, Greg Regan, you know, Lee Smith from the Slammers, Aaron Edwards, uh, James Buckner from Willerton. Uh, I think Damo Matats played. He was still in the SBL. But, and, then a, and then a few other guys from Victoria joined them. So they went up Taiwan and, and, and joined in this tournament called the William Jones Cup. Now in Taiwan, this this tournament's going. This this tournament has been going for about fifty years. It gets played on ESPN throughout Asia. And so the year that Al put this team together, they went up and joined the William Jones Cup, and it was in a World Championship year. So. This team of crocodiles, as they were known, the Crocs, <laughs> they go up to the William Jones Cup and they're drawn against Lebanon, Iran, and all these international teams <laughs> that are preparing, <laughs> that are preparing oh, for the World Championships, and they're 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 battling up against Clint Reed, who hasn't played all for three years. <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd Clayman was playing, and he was no. seven years of age. <laughs> was Al playing? No, no, Al was coaching. He he was organised. Okay. They they just organised it, but they had a great time. And actually, the the next year they they thought they might turn their attention to uh, a different tournament. They actually they got into a bit of trouble actually because all these people were asking who are these crocs and from Australia, and so they all started searching crocodiles, and it came up as the Townsville Croc, who was mm-hmm. supposedly oh, wow. this NBL team. And when everyone put two and two together and realised it wasn't the Townsville Crocodiles, uh, they got into a bit of bit of strife. Well, that would have been <laughs> almost a fever, a fever, <laughs> a visual tournament if they got the uh, the national team there. So that would have been uh, yeah, very interesting to see. 
Yes, I think uh, Basketball Australia made the call to Alan Erickson and told him, look, you can't organise another tournament without our approval. So <laughs> you, you can't participate unless you've got Basketball Australia approval. So it's very funny times. And those guys those guys actually were quite competitive, actually. Like, they, they sort of got beaten towards in the fourth quarter and whatnot. The following year, they came up to Malaysia. And we played it at, and I joined them on this tour. And Greg Brown and Anna joined the team on this tour. And we played at a place called... Batu Pahat in um, in Malaysia, and it was a five day tournament, and guys performed very well, and I think we we ended up losing in the semi final to the Malaysian national team, and then they beat uh, Hong Kong for third place. So okay. as I'm saying, there's lots of opportunities for basketball players in WA, especially to get over to Asia and compete and have a great time. Yeah, uh, doesn't sound like uh, you tell me that Al organised that. It does sound like a uh, Al Erickson incorporated uh, venture. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> funny. Now I think Mike, you've taken a keen interest in our in our tournament we've put together to crown the greatest SBL championship winning team. You've seen a lot of them firsthand. You've kept it close on the league since you've been overseas as well. Yeah, did you want to run through some of your thoughts on some of those teams that you played for, played against, and and maybe some of the stars that that were part of those teams? I can do, yeah. It's a really good concept got going on here. I think it's a it's a very difficult task that mm. you guys are going to have. Certainly when people vote, uh, there's always a little bit of recency biased in these things. So I, I actually had a little bit of time on my hands this week as well before moving house, actually a three-day holiday. So I spent a little bit of time mm. combing the stats of all the championship teams. I think when you look for a championship team, like if you look prior to a season, you always first and foremost go, who are the best players? Which team's got the best players? And they would ought to be championship favourites. So what I did is I went back through all the stats and found out the most productive players, the biggest stars on each championship team. Mm-hmm. Now, coming in at first is the 1990 Redback team with Andrew Vlahov. So Andrew Vlahov averaged 35.2 points per game and 12.7 rebounds. That's the most effective player that's ever been on a championship team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're incredible stats. 35.2 points and 12.7 rebounds a game. 1990, I think he just finished his career at Stanford University. Yep. He was on the verge of signing. He was on the verge of signing with Perth Wildcats, I believe. I mean, this was a, a contract year for him in the SPL, given that I think North Melbourne were coming very, very hard for him. But he eventually chose the Wildcats, which is probably a great thing that he did. And yeah. Of course, he's a hometown boy, so it was probably always going to go that way. But he put up some phenomenal numbers mm-hmm. in that the year. Thing, the thing His that teammates for me too. Actually, sorry, 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 the thing that jumped out for me there was we always thought of Blahoff as being this power forward, big guy, grunt, hard work. He shot forty percent from the three point line and was taking threes a game like that. Mm. That's almost you know, twenty years before you want your four man or your your big three doing that. He was His game wasn't a traditional big at that point, which I think people sort of forget that they're coming through. He's probably more of a three-man than he was a, a traditional four, which he ended up being in the NBL. Absolutely. So, yeah, he's, yeah, and when he was at Stanford, I mean, he basically just lived around the keyway and around the foul line. And I think that year in the SBL, he really started, he worked on his game. He certainly primitive game and started shooting the three, as you said, which as yeah. a junior, he never really did. Yeah, his t- his teammates there. I mean, it's a superstar lineup team, and arguably the best best of all time. The Jimmy Tharp and Import was averaging twenty point game. They had Longley with twenty points a game. 
You know, Craig Evans from Darwin, who was playing for the Wildcats, I was averaging over 13-point game. Andy Lewis, a good doorwood of the Perth Redbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, one of my, my brother's good mates played state basketball with my brother. He was averaging 12. And then we had CJ in his mm-hmm. first year, CJ Jackson, uh, averaging 11.8 boards and five assists a game. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a phenomenal team. With you, want clarify, um, you want to clarify CJ's first game that he said he, he, he couldn't make a basket? I sort of heard <laughs> that maybe the streak was a little bit longer. Well, it's funny you should say that. I used to go down to the uh, Perry Lake Stadium every week to watch this team. Uh, I was just sort of starting out in the SBL. I was 16. Me and my coach at the time, Brad McNamara, he, had, he didn't have much else to do. So we used to go at all these games. And CJ, he didn't really hit the ground running when he got here. <laughs> I think it, I've chalked it up. It, was, it took him six games to score his first basket. Wow, there you go. And, uh, like, you know, he was trying hard, but he just couldn't. He just couldn't put it in the bucket, but uh, he survived. I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. They, I, I, I'm led to believe, and this is nothing against CJ. I love him to death. I'm led to believe that they did have a meeting, whether to keep him or not. And it was actually Luke Longley that said we should keep him. Mm. And here he is, 30 years later. CJ mm. Jackson mm. still doing great things for basketball in WA. So. There you go. Yeah. That's the moment in time, and he's still there, and he's doing a great job, and he always has. Except for his first six games. Moment, <laughs> isn't it? You know, they, it all it takes is that one thing. When we spoke to EJ, he, he felt he didn't hit his straps until Luke and Andrew went away to a, a, a World Cup qualifier or something, and he kind of got thrust into that position where it was now or never, I guess. So, you know, those, those players, when you do get thrown into those situations, they sink or swim. Uh, I guess that's when you're going to find out what you're really truly made of. So, yeah, just an interesting story about his career early on, I guess. Mm. Uh, second, second biggest, second most productive player ever on this cha- on these championships teams. My old teammate Kelly Houston. Mm. Now, Kelly Houston in night in 1992 averaged 33.1 points a game and 15.3 rebounds. He had <laughs> a phenomenal a year. He that's was phenomenal. He was an absolute machine, yeah. fit and yeah. healthy. Yeah. Kelly Houston uh, was a superstar. Just relentless, just never stop. And, you know, and that's the same team. That's 1992 Cougars. Houston was a machine. Had Alan Erickson averaging 24 points, 15 boards and five assists. Martin Catalini was emerging as a superstar. He was almost averaging 20 points and nine boards. And then, you know, along the line, myself, Troy Clark, Mike Forsyth, Michael Allen. And my other brother, Sean, Gavin Farrell, and Brad McKell made up the roster. Yeah, we had a great year. I'm not sure sure we we we'd go far in this tournament, but uh, I think we'd we'd certainly battle. We'd we'd be up for the fight. Yeah, um, I mean, again, my memories of Houston. I'd like to ask him one day, him and Al, both what they think of Leighton Beach and and Greg Gers down there with his whistle making us run up and down that beach. But Houston <laughs> just one pace up up the beach, back down the beach, just workhorse, and then on the court, just drenched in sweat. And again, not super athletic at all, but just outworky every single time up and down the floor. So yeah, Houston was a was an absolute beast for, for a very long time. And you know, a lot of people than me make decisions in basketball, Michael. That's how Kobe never let Houston go, and he still went on to play another ten years in the league. I, I sort of, I can't fathom that decision. I don't know who made that decision, but putting up that pairing of him and Al seemed to be like putting up Bird and McHale for me. Yeah, in hindsight, it probably wasn't the right thing to do, but it was what it was. And I remember Houston coming back in '94 against Coburn Cougars, who's now playing for Rockingham, and. 
he tore Coburn up. He, he said that was the most determined he'd ever been to play. Yeah. It's sort of a revenge game. You shouldn't have let me go. But, yeah, just an absolute warrior. And when mm. fully fit, he was just a dominant force in the middle. Just a soft touch. Like, I remember him shooting free throws, and he just would never miss. Like, he just had that. For as big a man as he was, to have that soft touch and that range, uh, you know, he just, was just absolutely phenomenal. And not only that, I mean, the skill of Alan Erickson and Kelly Houston was they didn't do anything from the textbook. I mean, all they, they were just so uncanny. They were just so hard to guard. 92 team, Catalini just, you know, he went from strength to strength. He just start, sort of perhaps just started training with the Wildcat. Hadn't signed a contract at that time, but he really emerged as a dominant force in the SBL. Yeah, I've spoken a few times about this. Those, that, that grand final stage is, tends to be when people make a name for themselves and it's that catalyst for them to make that leap from the SBL to, to that next level. It tends to be though, that form. It's our biggest stage we've gotten uh, throughout history. Is that, that one person has put the team on their shoulders and it seems to be that thing that yeah, you know, thrusts them into that, that next level of, um, of competition. So. The next most productive player... Uh, from these championships teams is 2005 Lightning. Andy Gilbert averaged 31.5 points a game and 10.8 boards. And his running mates, I can tell you, like, like Lindstrom, Wazinski, Franek, Butler and Palmieri. Now, I know a few of these guys, but Ben, you could probably talk about this team better than I could. Andy Gilbert's numbers certainly stack up with the best of them. Yeah, look, Andy Gilbert, one of those typical lakeside imports, didn't look like much, but was just efficient in everything he did and fit fit that lakeside style of play. And I think what people sort of, you know, don't realise with that lakeside team is that those those guys kind of were all together from about under 18s. They started as an under 18 Division 2 team at Williton because they didn't have enough team field all wobble in all the wobble competitions when Lakeside started. So those kids have been around Andy for a long time. And then you add in a fringe NBL player in, in Travis Lindstrom. You know, they, they kind of covered everything off and did everything well. And Gilbert was just a guy that just sort of put him over the edge. He just did a bit of everything and super smart and, and yeah, just, just, a, just a great player that you know, went on, didn't go on to bigger and better things, but you know, did, a, did a year here, they went and played in, in Melbourne, I think, for a bit, and then actually went back to the States and became a doctor. Wow. His dream of playing basketball overseas, and now he's uh, went back to uni, and yeah, he's a, he's a doctor in, in wherever he lives now. So, so yeah, just a, a tough player, and as you say, super efficient in everything that he did. Well, Dr. Gilbert was very good. 31 <laughs> points, 10.8 boards. Now, just inter- maybe interesting interesting for me is that Travis Lindstrom, me and him, I played against him in college. He was at the University of Hawaii Hilo, and I was okay. at Chaminade. So we actually played against each other uh, over there. So, yeah. His um, dad came nothing back and coached Coburn. Uh, not Coburn, um, Sterling for a couple of years. Lindstrom. Yep. Came Hilo, and ran Hawks. Yep, that's it, exactly, yep. Now, our next best uh, performed, uh, this guy is a star, ended up with five championships. Not The 1995 version of the Slammers, Jane Bitch, 29.8 points and 12.8 boards. Now, I don't know how that is not an MVP year. I oh, heard I Mark tell him. Yeah. Um, you know, those were the days when the voting system mm, technically wasn't right and it sort of rewarded the poorer teams and a lot of a lot of teams down at the bottom ended up getting players with an MVP award. But really, I think the voting system has been changed to rectify that now. In 1995, I'm sure if the voting system had been a bit more realistic, where the best players got more of the vote, then Fitch certainly would have won the won the award then. His teammates at that stage, normally you associate the Slammers with Ricardo Boyd, but they had Eve Branch. He was averaging 24 and 10. 
Wade Bennett was emerging as a, you know one of the best reigns in the league. Brad Waldock was sort of at the end of his career. And then Lee, Lee Smith and Aaron Edwards were also coming onto the scene. So that's, uh, you know, that, that nucleus there formed the uh, nucleus for the, for the next seven or eight years where they won five championships. Yeah, when we spoke to James about that, it was he saw that potential in those kids, and when he came out in '90, and sort of felt that if he could keep them together and, and get their confidence up, just you know, you know, Wade Bennett saw big things in him. So, but yeah, definitely they developed that core group that could stay together. And yeah, as we discussed with James, um, I think he's pretty happy with his his four championships and and his four finals MVPs. Um, he, he said he wouldn't give those up for anything. But yeah, definitely, definitely MVP caliber through most of his career with James. Uh, rounding out the top five, let's, I'll probably just uh, give you the top five and then we'll just talk talk about some other teams that have taken my eye when I've been looking at this. 1993, Vince Kelly in a two-pronged attack with Brian Fundingsland. Kelly, Vince Kelly averaged 29 points and 10 boards a game. And this is probably a little bit different from the other teams where, you know, the other teams had probably at least three main scoring weapons. This this Wanneroo Wolves teams had, had just mainly two scoring weapons in Vince Kelly and Funningsland, but then they just had such a deep lineup of consistent and effective role players such as Jason Cooper as Murray Neville, Rick Kovacic, Andrew Kennedy, Graham Thompson and and my little mate Craig Weston, who only averaged about five points a game during the regular season, but in that grand final, he lit us up about 20, just, just draining threes all night long. Yeah, so. five, five threes at one, I think it was four in the third quarter or something. It was just unbelievable. I remember I remember sitting there, actually sitting on a bench in that one um, and watching it. And again, I'd spent a bit of time with Craig and those boys up at at Wanneroo when my dad had coached him in Division 1 and Craig was a good, good player and but I'd never seen him do do what he did in that grand final. Great bloke, Craig Weston, and his dad, Gary Weston, absolute champion as well. Bunch yeah. of good guys. I'm not really that happy when he lost to them, but they are a bunch of good guys. Here's what, one, are your memories, uh, what are your memories of playing against Fudd? We just spoke to Dan Hunt and he's given Fudd a, a huge rap, which is well deserved. He said he thinks he's the best point guard ever playing the SBL. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it was certainly the most difficult opponent for me. I used to really, really love playing against Buds, and I think uh, my first ever time that I played against him, I was 16. We played up at Geraldton. We had no import this stage. Our, our imports at Coburn had left. Uh, they'd done a runner overnight, literally. They did a runner <laughs> overnight and uh, got out of town. So, yeah, my first ever game against Bundingsland, I, was, I actually drew four fouls on him in the first half. So I was, wow. I, was, I was pretty tickled pink with myself. But, yeah, Fudds was just, he was a workhorse. I mean, every time he went down to a gym, any time he'd walk, go down to Perry Lakes Hall, Bundingsland was always in the gym working out. He was strong, he was smart, he was quick, he could score, he could shoot, you know, he could finish. He was just, he, he was the complete point guard. Yeah, no, it, was, uh, it was joy to watch. He had a, had a run with the caps there for a little bit, I think, I remember rightly. They chucked him yes, in he and Ricky Jason's away for a bit. He did. He played maybe three or four games and, and yeah. acquitted himself quite well. Yeah. When did you ever did you ever run with the Caps, Michael? Uh, yeah, I actually made, managed to play two games in 1993. Quite, it was quite a lucky, fortunate situation that, you know, I'd had a good 92. I certainly played well in the playoffs. And in 93... They used to they used to have the Kmart Classic, so 
three okay, NBL yeah. teams came to Perth. So there was Perth Wildcats, Hobart, Tassie Devils with Cal Bruton as coach, and the Brisbane Bullets, Shane Hill and the like, came to town. And then a fourth team was the SBL All-Stars. So I was in that team with the likes of um, CJ Bruton. CJ Jackson was playing. Pete Hansen was playing. Kelly Houston, all the likes, all, all the greats of the game. Vince Kelly was playing. And we played the Wildcats on TV, on Friday Night Live TV. And I actually had a good game against them. I think I might have had about 16 points or something. And the early stages of the 1993 season, I was really playing well. And I got invited down to train with the Wildcats and started training with them. And then midway through the season, Chris Carroll, who was a you know superstar Perth Red Perry, Lake. Perry Lakes Hawks player? He either had to do something to go away for a few weeks. It was either with the Australian Junior Team or he had some sort of work commitment. I just can't remember what it was. And I was lucky enough to get the call up to fill his position for two games. So, now, I, I actually remember. I think I I came to the the SBL All Stars versus Caps game and watched that. And then again in '93, being down at Coburn with with you and and Cap, you know, probably knew that knew that that was uh was happening for you and was um uh, was great to see again. Just seeing guys be get that opportunity to to go to that next level. That that to me is what it, what the SBL is for. It's what it's there for. And um, seeing guys actually achieve that dream is is phenomenal. So yeah, remember that. Yeah, well, I, I was there with '93, and I, I don't really, I didn't really have much chance the next year. Signed CJ Bruton and Aaron Traher, so uh, little Michael Farrell wasn't really. <laughs> Okay, Mike, that was a fascinating top five of the best individual, efficient individual players we've seen in those championship teams. What about the teams overall from the 32 teams that have won championships in the league? What what things or what teams have really stood out to you from some of them? Yeah, well, certainly from my days of um, even prior to playing in the SBL, you know, certainly the 1989 Redbacks could, you know, take it right up to the 1990 Redbacks. Mm. Uh, prior to CJ Jackson and Jimmy Tharp coming out, uh, the 1989 Redbacks had Daryl Pace. He was yeah. averaging like 28 points per game. And then they also had another import by the name of Matt Biswa. Mm-hmm. He was an awesome player. He averaged like 27 points per game, which was more than both Vlahoff and Longley. And I could make a case for the 1989 team to beat the 1990 team. They also wow. had a Craig Evans averaging like 20 points per game. And then they also had a New South Wales point guard who they'd recruited by the name Peter Kaplanjian, he was averaging mm-hmm. like 17 points a game. That was a really good team, probably a little bit more balanced than the 1990 team. But then if you factor in Vlahov, this took it to another level in 1990, it might tip the 1990 team over the edge, as in which team was better. Hey, yeah, what other teams really jumped out at you? I, look, I think the 1994 Perry Lakes Hawks yeah. have to be a big show. They have to be a big show mm. in this tournament. You know, featuring the featuring the like Pete Hansen, Chris Carroll, C.J. Bruton, Scott Harkis, but who were all upstaged by the big mountain by the name of Andy Upoff. I mean, Upoff was a powerhouse. Yeah. He averaged almost twenty-seven points a game and fourteen point, uh, fourteen rebounds. You know, sort of outperforming Pete Hansen, who just spent like five years at the Wildcats. Chris Carroll, an Australian international, certainly at the junior level, long-time Perth Wildcat. C.J. Bruton who was really blossoming into a superstar at that stage, averaging like 16-point game in the SBL. And also Scott Harkis, who's a quality, quality player. And then you surround those stars with like the the role players of Heath Gardner, Phil Thomason, Ryan Gardner and Dion D'Agostino. I'd certainly think that 
that Perry Lakes Hawks team has to be in the final four. Mm-hmm. Has to be. Yeah, if not, and up off are, are two. Like, I mean, Hans, as you say, Hanson's just done his thing with the Cats, and up off was now again almost a level above at that at that stage. And Hanson was still just it's just so serviceable, just that classic hard work import that just let everyone else play their game, and he would just generate those extra possessions either defensively or, or, or grabbing a rebound, you know, he's just um, just a workhorse. So. And then, yeah, the perimeter of you know, Carroll and, and CJ Bruton as your, as your backcourt is, is just phenomenal. Yeah, they were, a, they were a very powerful team. Luckily, I didn't have to play them because I would stay. That, I, I missed that one. I caught a break there. Here's, here's an interesting team. The 2002 Hawks. I know the yeah. Hawks won from like 2001 to 2004. But Matt Burston in mm. in 2002, first, he just burst through the ceiling. This year, he averaged 26 points and 14 rebounds. This is probably the first time an Australian really carried the load as a, the equal of a superstar import. Around about 2002, Burston was sort of in the Wildcat on the national scene, and he really took it to another level at the SBL level and really had a dominant season. And he was supported by that core group of Trent Mager, Simon Blennerhassett, Peter Sinfield, Lee Malachek, Joe Allen, Tupaya, Ryan Gardner. I mean, that, that team that won four, was it four or five championships in a row? I mean, that, that was force, a quality force team. Force they, force yeah, they yeah, did, it, did it with mostly mostly Australians, but with that year there, with 2002, it'd be interesting to get Ryan Gardner's take on which team he thought was the best out of that four-year run. But just looking at the stats and, and seeing it, Matt Burst dominate like that, that, that really jumps out at me. It was almost like we a Catalani situation where he, just, he was on the cusp and it just... Yeah, something like they say big guys take a lot longer to develop. It just sort of all came together for him in that, that time, didn't it? Absolutely. I mean he was tough. He was he was such a great defensive player. I mean, you know, Athletic. blocking shots all, all day long, but then it you know, turned it around at the other end. Twenty seven yeah. points a game and fourteen rebounds. Yeah, that that's a really big year. He had great hands mm. for a seven footer too, didn't he? Yep. Then we have to start talking about the slammers. Five mm-hmm. championships, James Fitt, the core group of Ricardo Boyd, Wade Bennett, the Edwards brothers, Luke and Aaron Edwards, uh, Lee Smith. They were a formidable, formidable group. And, you know, which year is the best year for those guys? I know they beat us in 98. And, you know, Wade, Wade Bennett really was a great player who I think he turned down multiple opportunities to uh, join the NBL I know the Wildcats had approached him a few times, possibly some teams from overseas as well, but he always just wanted to stay in the SPL for some reason. And his emergence from, like, young rookie player to really a triple-double, almost in the 98 season, Wade Bennett was averaging 19.6.5 rebounds and five assists as an Australian, supporting Ricardo Borden and James Fitch. I mean, he had a monster year and and a great career overall. And, he was you know, a big guard too. He, he wasn't. He wasn't. He was like a six or six or five point guard. Like he was just, he was just a big kid. Like he's, um, yeah, he's just. I remember that was usually someone that I would be matched up on, and he's again looking over the top of your head and strong and yeah, it's just phenomenal. So, so I suppose we, you know, we've looked teams that had that one superstar bomber, and then there's other teams out there that really had a nice balance. And I guess we go back to 1991 with the Swan City Mustangs yeah. when they had about 65 Americans playing for them. <laughs> 
I don't know how this happened, but in <laughs> 1991, there was a rule where you could allow permanent residents to play as Australians. So there were teams with like four and five, six Americans. You know, I'm not sure how great it was for the league, but this Swan City Mustangs team with Patrick Langwar, Roland Brooks, Mark McCatherian, James Jackson, Jeff Spalding, Glenn Ellis, they were a quality team in that era when the Americans were so much sort of stronger than the than the Australian players. They were really, really tough. You know, they, they could certainly go head-to-head with the Redbacks and, and put on a, a, a competitive performance. That that was yeah. a really tough team. Yeah, and I think, you know, James and, and Roland are sort of just coming off their NBL careers. Uh, McCatherine had taught, torn up the Siebel, I think, the year before and before he came over. And, and Langway had led Sterling to the to a grand final in 1990 off his own hand, basically. So you know, it's almost five five All-Stars making up the team, if you, whichever of the Ellis brothers you want to put in there. Uh, at that stage, the way that they were playing, you know, that's, uh, that is a, a very, very talented starting five. I think Jeff Balding came off the bench, you know, that's, the, that's how, how tough they were. Yes, he was about the eighth man. Actually, yeah. In that grand final, they played the uh, Slammers, and this was the day James Fitch really arrived. Slammers were, had a, another import by the name of Steve Isle. Steve yeah. Isle had been a superstar at Indiana University. He'd had a, a phenomenal regular season in the SBL, but in the grand final, James Fitch just outshone everyone on the court and almost pinched it from the slam, uh, from the from the Mustangs. But uh, I think the depth of the Mustangs proved too strong in the end. But certainly that was the day James Fitch arrived as the superstar that he is. Was, was it a James Jackson three-pointer to win it? You're stretching my memory there. Yeah, I seem to remember James Jackson dribbling, dribbling to the, getting the inbound, dribbling down and just pulling up and, and hitting it. I have to... I'll ask a few people around if that's, that's correct. But yeah, I remember it was literally you know, down to the wire um, that game. Challenge Stadium, going nuts. Yeah. Good old days. Certainly, other, another team that I'd have to mention is the 2000 Buccaneers with some um, legends of the league. You know, Greg Brown doing what he does, leading the team in scoring. You know, they had Alan Erickson, they had Dan Hunt, and they also had Jeff Bevington. Uh, and then you know, ably yeah. supported by you know Jason Bunter, DJ McGlynn, and uh, Ray Evans, etc. I mean, in that year at 2000, they were the clear-cut favourites. You just knew they were going to win the championship, and and they did. So I mean, that's a team that stands stands up to the best of them as well. Well, they had a, um, a young Dan Hunt, but they had, they had Dan Dan Hunt sitting on the bench there as well. That's a handy. A handy eight or ninth guy to come in, you know, he's going to be able to do his job. Absolutely. And I guess that this is probably the only other team that I've really saw in person. I'd have to give a little bit of a tribute to the 1997 Redbacks. Mm. With Dewey Michael leading the way. Ken Epson, one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. Uh, Dan, supported yep. by a strong contingent of Australian players in Jamie Baker, Nick Lackovit, Matt Earp and Luke Mackay. I think that from, from my eye test, that team is more than capable as well. Much. I mean, Dewey Michaels is yeah, one of the guys that's made the jump from the SBL to the NBL. And Ken Epperson is probably he just a, a, the, the scoring machine that he was, just hard work, you know, not super athletic, but athletic enough to beat, beat most guys. And not your traditional sort of post up big, more a catch and face and hard dribble right pull up sort of sort of player. So, um, and then Jamie Baker and Matt Earp were not just 
fringe NBL players, but rotation NBL players. So very, very tough, very, very tough, that team. Absolutely. Uh, a team that I really never saw play, but I know most of the guys in the team have maybe played against a few of them, the 2007 Giants. This one caught my eye. I mean, this is probably the, the most balanced team, statistically, they've ever seen in the SBL. Yeah, had Ty Shaw running around with 20 points. Brian Hume racking up 16. He had Michael Haney with 18. Mark Heron, a, a guy by the name of Dominico Rizzi was playing. He was. They're, they're all averaging over double figures. Jameis Ballantyne was there. Uh, Matthew Lesky, Jimmy Bowler and Todd Earl. I mean, on paper, I'm not sure I've seen a more balanced lineup. Mm. Yeah, well, look, you know, too, Mike Haney, I think, you know, the way it matches up, too, it's, it's that 2017 versus the, the Bucks of 2000. And, and one of the things that Utley and I spoke about was just that matchup of Al Erickson versus Mike Haney would have just, if it was a prize fight, you'd be trying to get front row <laughs> tickets. Like, talk about two of the most relentless, toughest competitors that would just did not care about the what kind of shoes they were wearing or if their jersey was ripped, they would just go out and compete. Like, those two alone would have been fighting tooth and nails to get the win. but And, and then you got Heron and, and Ballantyne, who championships tended to follow wherever they went. You know, they get the get carried Willerton to a, to, a, to a grand final. They're, they're up in Geraldton. They're, they're out in Kalgoorlie. They're, they've done some pretty stressful things they do, uh, throughout their career. Yes, they have. Great guys as well. I guess, uh, though I've been away from the league since 2003, I, I, I have kept a close eye on the league. You know, probably for, from 2003 to 2013, I was always looking at the SBL website every week, you know, checking out box scores, you know, keeping a close tab on the bar, keeping a close tab on the Cougars. But, uh, the 2011 Wolves, I know Greg, Greg High was sort of a prominent or emerging into the, into the Wildcats or followed his season. I don't know why, but he was just a rebounding machine. I think every Monday I got to work in Singapore and I was like, right, I'm going to find out how many ball Greg High got day. And yep. he had a phenomenal phenomenal season in 2011, 22 points and almost 17 boards, you know, with a strong contingent supporting him, Damien Matat, Salinas, Mechtig, Vordrail and Brad Robbins, who, you know, had a successful NBL career. So, I mean, there's just so many teams here. I mean, every championship team has some sort of special quality. Now, Ben's I mean, talked about this before. It's very difficult. Sorry to jump in, but you talked about Greg's season. He didn't finish in the top 25 in MVP voting that, that season. Well, how does that happen? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I'd imagine yeah. they had the old system of voting. Mm. <laughs> well, I guess you make up your you mind know, you don't like someone, don't you, if you're the opposition? The losing team in the in the old days, the losing team players got as many votes as the winning team's players. Yeah, so yeah. often the, yeah. the team who had that one player carrying them but wasn't really winning that many games, that player would always get the vote. Mm. Whereas a Greg yeah. High that year, he's obviously going to lose uh, lose votes to Matat, Salinas and the other guys. So yeah. the stronger teams in the old voting system were, were punished because they had more good players and the votes were spread out amongst their own team, whereas the sort of weaker teams... All the votes went to one player. Yeah, yeah. No, that was a, that was a, that was actually a, a brilliant team to coach, and and Greg Robbins, uh, his leadership. Again, I, I spoke about you earlier, Michael, as, as thinking sort of four or five steps ahead. Robbo, Robbo is very similar in that, like he would see things on the floor. He'd, uh, a bit like you as well, he would slow the game down to his pace and make you play at his pace. But then they had already picked you apart before you'd uh, before you got a chance to walk on the floor. He knew he knew how he was going to beat you, and, and it was up to you to try and stop him. So 
Um, very, 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 very smart player and, and a great leader. Another team that caught my eye on paper is the 2010 Tigers, led by Daniel Johnson and, you know, and Cameron Tovey, Alex yeah. Prince, Ty Shaw once again, and a guy by the name of Jones, who I'm not really familiar with. But that looked like a, you know, a, certainly a, a star-studded team. Yeah, yeah Mark Jones is a, uh, is a New Zealander that came over and played about six foot six of uh, big uh, inside physical presence. Gave them a bit of grunt, a bit of hardness, and sort of you know let, allowed the guards to do what they wanted to do. He sort of really supported uh, a, a Daniel Johnson, probably a bit more of a finesse player. And you know Jones and, and Ty Shaw in the paint was um, very formidable, very a bit like Hanson and up off, but probably not that uh, you know, Mark Jones wasn't at the level of a uh, of a of a Hanson, but Ty Shaw was just a workhorse. I think Ty Shaw's stats in that grand final were very, very few points and 20-odd rebounds. That was just, uh, he went and did what he needed to do so DJ and, and Toby could basically um, do what they needed to do to win the game. Yeah, they just had DJ who was about to explode to become the NBL superstar that he has now become for the last decade. And, and Toby was at his absolute peak. And as a player, as a three-man who could just do everything, great defender, great ball handler, great rebounder, great passer, and as someone who could be a capable scorer, even though he had an odd-looking shot, they just they just were able to get DJ and Toby at the absolute right time at their, at their peaks. I think the 2017 version of the Redback, you know, mm-hmm. uh, given that it was, uh, you know, shortened, now I know that they play only 40 minutes. Sean Reddish leading that team, yep. you know, averaging 26 points a game. Adjusted figures with an extra eight minutes is probably closer to 30 points a game. That's a really that's a really standout season from Reddish, uh, complemented by the likes of Roberts, Nelson, Smith, Vigor, and Wagner. That that team looks like it's very capable as well. It was, wasn't yeah, it, Ben? Yeah, I mean, that 33 points, I think, handed it to us. Um, broke, broke our record of 2015 when we beat the Slammers by 32. So yeah, um, been on been on the end of been on one side of a, a large margin, and then yeah, got a handed to us the next year. So Sean Reddish was just from the get go. I think Sean had the first six points all off broken plays, like a, an inbound play, a, a broken offense, and, and then another another one that we thought we had scouted. And you know, Sean just Sean just set the tone from the start, and then Lee Roberts was just unbelievable in that game as well. His yeah. motor is just so big for. Uh, a throwback almost uh, of import to go back the way that Lee plays the game with the ferocity that he attacks the game is, um, again, someone that I would have loved to have coached at some stage throughout his SBL tenure. And even Kyle Bowen, who I think was still only 16, he had a huge grand final too. Owen and um, little Marshall Nelson yep. came out when they were up by about 10 or 12 and literally just played himself into an NBL contract with Bevo sitting in the stand. That's right. Uh, yep. Just went mm-hmm. up and nothing we could do. Ben Smith knocking them down from everywhere, so... Um, yeah, they were, uh, I don't think anyone could have got them on that night. Uh, they were very, very good. I'm going to have to give a shout-out to my 2012 Cougars, uh, led by Jeremiah Wilson and Brian Carwell. I did follow this season very, very closely. It looked like they had two of the best imports that the Cougars had ever had, and then supported by quality locals in Damien Scott, Gavin Field, Sheldon McIntyre and Grant Davey. You know, Gavin Field was a kid. Uh, he was a little baby when he was following his dad, Gary, around to our... Uh, Gary was, of course, assistant coach with Cougars for a long time. Gavin Field was always yeah. around as a little baby of the club. So very proud to see that guy emerge as a, not only a championship player, but, you know, he's, he's a star now. Oh, he's a, he's a yeah, legend think, of the league yeah, now, yeah. yeah. I think the, the Cougars, uh, the last couple of times I've been on that custom... You know, Gab, horrible luck. Like he just he dislocated his elbow in one final series, and yeah, when, the, when they won in two thousand sixteen, yeah, 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 that was against two thousand sixteen against us. It's like 
we get we think we're going to get him and no, but then in yeah, that Jeremiah Wilson. Not sure if you've seen Jeremiah play recently, but he's um, he's forged a huge career in in Spain and Italy. He's um, almost re remodeled his game to be a a, a complete um, wing rather than a, a four that just outworked people. He's now shoots about forty three percent from three point line and on the floor. He's, he's a phenomenal player nowadays. He's um, extremely extremely high level. Well, just even from seeing seeing following the league on the stats. From Singapore, you can. There was something about him. You could just tell him. Tell he was a little bit special, and I haven't seen him play. But that's just from the stats. And I was week in, week out. He was just putting up big numbers after big numbers, and you just thought this guy's pretty good. Just great. You talked to Charlie about um, about him. Um, he absolutely loves the guy. Like and even those Cougars boys nowadays, they'd, they'd still tell you that he was uh, just his work rate. Just absolutely phenomenal, just refused. And Brian Carwell, uh, you know, sort of peak Brian. He's he sort of come out of college. He'd, he'd still, you know, he could get up and down the floor, just mobile uh, for a seven-footer and, and to be sort of, you know, that size around the basket um, was sort of one that no one in the league could really match up on. So, yeah, very, very handy player. I guess the only other clubs we haven't really spoken about, the uh, Lightning, and I suppose, suppose we'd better mention them. They've won a few, of course, with Jared. Oh, we did speak about the Lightning, maybe. Yes, the big fella. But I just noticed Jared Prue's name. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, there's a year there in 2013, he's averaging eight points and 20 rebounds. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what a phenomenal career he's had. Well, that, and that's basically yeah. his career numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he just keeps going and going, and there's, there's, still there's going, two yeah. things that you can rely on. You're going to get there's taxes, and Joe Prue's going to get a rebound. That's the two things you can rely on in life. Um, and I know we've sat down in scouting meetings and worked, tried to work out how you're going to keep him off the boards. I've, I've opened to Andy Stewart about it and said, "Are you bringing through the next Joe Prue? Who's it going to be?" And he said, "I've sat down, they've broken down how he rebounds, and they just can't they can't put a, a specific thing on what it is, other than he's just this." Huge heart that loves to love to go and get rebounds. I remember driving to work. I used to live in Belgravis, and I'd drive to work at BWA, and I'd look over on to the left of me, and there was Jared Prue running a marathon before work. That that's the kind of work ethic that he'd have. He just he'd run up and down the edge of the freeway to, to to go to work because that's what he would do. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal player. I think he was rebounding straight out of the womb. <laughs> he must have been. I think so. He was, <laughs> before they cut the umbilical cord, he had one rebound. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, very good. I mean, this is this is not easy. I mean, the 2019 bar coach by Dale Joseph, who I, uh, in 2003, I was his assistant coach as yeah. when he coached him in 2003. I'm very proud to see those guys get a championship and, and led by some club's legends offering, such as Liam Hunt, and, and the Dukas kid. And Dukas, yeah. Yep. So, I mean, he obviously came back mid-season and gave him a real spark and sort of chipped him over the edge to the championship. And he looks yeah, like well, he's going to be a gun. Well, it was yeah, a fascinating story all grand final week about if he would actually play that, or not. That's it. That sent two imports home, and that was sort of to clear the way for him to come in. And I was speaking to Dan before, and it was almost that because they weren't there, that Aaron, the, the Oz teams love him. And he was just thrust into that that role in the semi-finals against Lakeside, where it was like it's your ball, you have to do this. And he just, yeah, it was the best four games of basketball I've, I've seen a kid play at that age mm. uh, in this league. He was just, he's just unbelievable. And then a few hours yeah, after yeah, the grand final, he was straight off to college on the plane off to St Mary's. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, brilliant. 
I don't know if I've helped you guys. I don't know how you can pick no, the winner from this. No, your insights are fantastic. But if, you know, if you're looking at the history of the league and you've got a team with Vlahov and Longley who had already played at the Olympics, I believe, supported I by like two it. Americans, you know, they went on to win four Olympics. You know, they have to be right up there. I'm looking at the 1994 Hawks as one of the best. You know, I think you've got to give the Slammers a, a, a run, given that they've won five. I know you can only pick one of their teams, but they did win five. Mm. You know, mate, that patch with Matt Burston and the Hawks yeah. and that quality Australian group, I mean, they, they were tough. They were all playing roles that imports used to play, you know, on big money. And that, that, that's a good team. The Bucks of 2000, the Swan City Mustangs of 91, you know, and as I said before, you know, I don't know if I have actually, but any player who played in any of these teams is going to say that their team will win because <laughs> everyone's competitive, everyone's confident, they, they, they believe in their teammate. You know, I'd be happy to walk out there with Kelly Houston, Alan Erickson, Martin Catalini, Troy yeah. Clark, Mike Forsyth. I'd be happy to take any of these teams on thinking we yeah. could win the game. Now, maybe I'm deluded. But everyone, everyone in this, any anyone from any of these teams would think they could win. Yeah, and I think the it's it's that capacity for that, as you've seen along the way, that who's going to take the game over? Like you need you need those those superstars, but who is going to emerge? Is it a Martin Catalini? Is it a Greg Hire? Is it a Marshall Nelson, is it an Aaron Dukas, is it a Liam Hunt? Like who is who has that capacity to jump out and, and, and just take the game on? You know, James Fitch did it four four out of five, that sort of thing. So who's got that superstar or that person that is just it's just gonna all come together um, and do what it takes to, to get their team over the edge. That that might be that that sort of well, people well, voting. Then there's only one other player that's been to the Olympics twice, correct me if I'm wrong. There's only one other player that went to the Olympics besides Vlahov and Longley. No, there's not. Sorry, I'm wrong. CJ Brute <laughs> did it three times. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's it. <laughs> I was going to say Martin Catalini. Oh, really? Say Martin Catalini. Yeah, he absolutely did. As well as, yeah, four, uh, as, well as 450 yeah, games and four championships in the NBL. I think CJ Bruton trumps him. CJ played at three Olympics, didn't yeah, he? He did. He did. Oh. Absolutely did. Plus he's six championships. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm really leaning towards this 1994 Perry Lakes Hawks team. Change your tune a bit. <laughs> not really. Not, not um, really. I thought you were a 90s Redback. I'd like to see them get beat. <laughs> <laughs> you never want to see the Redbacks win anything. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for that matter, I don't want to see Perry Lakes win anything either. <laughs> I've had enough of them winning. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Some things never change, Michael. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's the fun of the SBL, isn't it? Like I call it the Wild West, mate. We've been our own entities for such a long time, and there's so many of those rivalries and so many of those things that this league people forget. Like they just don't know. They don't, as you said, start recency bias. They think now's the best. When you start to sit down and go through it all, we've had uh, I think we've had seven guys go from the SBL who played in the SBL who've gone on to the NBA. Like that. That's huge for a little state league in Perth. That's phenomenal. Mm. 
Well, I can remember, like, I, I date back a little bit more. Like, I was around when Coburn won the 1984 district competition. You know, the imports from that era came over and they would dominate. You know, the imports be putting up 30-point game. And that probably continued on until probably, like, the late 90s. And, and around about in 2000s, the Australians really developed and started filling those roles. And that, that's where the development in basketball has come from in the SBL. You know, you've got, for instance, Matt Burston dominating with a cast of Aussies who are, who are filling roles that imports used to fill. Some of the imports come over and they're no good. They can't compete with the Australians anymore. And that yeah. didn't happen back in the 80s and back in the 90s. Certainly there was some bad imports came and got sent home, but generally speaking, the imports were far better than the Aussies. Yeah, and then we had that fight through the 2000s where we had uh, Australians winning the MVP. You know, Matt Foster, Chris, uh, Jared Moore, uh, Anthony Exeter, SMP. Slaboleski. Damien Maddock. Like, suddenly, you know, again, the respect came for those, those players that have come through that generation where they'd watch these guys play or perhaps had a had a Kelly Houston as a teammate or whatever it was that, that taught them what hard work and how to go about business or that, that was the, the people that they grew up watching that sort of spurred them on. So, yeah, it was uh, it's the evolution of the league now is, is very much so where it's the, the import, the complementary to your Australian talent because um, you know, they, they definitely can can hold their own. And, and teams, as we saw last year with the Buck, you know, they send two imports home and it's, it's Colter Lasher, who's a great player, not a superstar really, but it was their Australians that, that got it done. I think that goes back to also the development of the coaching. You know, coaches are so much more knowledgeable now. The, the programs that everyone has in place, you know, they're developing much better players. No, I agree. Uh, again, get your Australians right. And then get your, your imports that are going to enhance what they do. Definitely a focus of, of mine. I know these you know, the guys I talk to as well. It's no, no longer just get a guy that can get you 30. Um, he's got to be able to get everyone else up and about and, and help them be better as well. I've got one job for you guys. I think you need to start politicking to have the pre SBL championship champions recognised. Uh, the old district basketball yeah, league, as it was known. Great point. Virtually all the same clubs. Really, all it was was the district league expanded into the SPL. Now, some might say it's a whole new league, but it wasn't. It was just four new teams came in, or five new teams. Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great yeah, point. Country I, teams, yeah. I think, yeah, the country teams came in. And then, of course, down the track, Lakeside, Kalamunda came in. But I think, you know, to disregard that history of basketball with some great players, the Ellis brothers, you know, Bryn Jones, you know, some great coaches, Dan, um, Jeff um, Anderson. Dave Hancock coach, Jeff yeah. Anderson from that league, Bob Witt. I mean, there's some great players and also very important in the, in the history of basketball. In WA, I think. Again, that was when when I sat down and looked at this. I wanted to include that last district championship, not because it made it nice and even, but because that that was our link to essentially where we're going. The SBL now doesn't exist. We're now moving into this NBL1 era, and we're leaving behind over nearly 40 years or however. I I know there's a picture of Van Kalis in 1954 down at Perry Lakes coaching coaching basketball, like in, in, in the district league. Like I've seen photos back that old that we can't just leave that behind. We can't walk away, walk walk into this next era and and forget because in 30 years' time, are people going to be sitting here talking about the SBL like we're talking about it now? Like those those district memories that we've got need need to come along with us. Uh, you, you're spot on, mate. You're absolutely spot on. 
All right, boys, I appreciate the chat. I've got to go look after my babies. Well, we could talk to you all night, Mike. We're going to have to get you back on the show at some point because... I think you're in the final four, I reckon. Yeah, that, that, let's get you back on absolutely, Mike, because your insights are as good as anybody's that I could imagine can provide into the into the league. So it's been, been fantastic to have you on the show. Well, th- thanks for feedback, Chris. I've really enjoyed it, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. And if there's any... Any listeners out there that have uh, crossed my path, or former friends, opponents, teammates, whatever, I'd say a big hello from China. Right, Thanks very much. Thanks for coming on board. Yep. Take care, guys. Thanks for that. No worries. Thanks, Good mate. Michael.